Good morning. Uh, sorry to interrupt your conversations and your donut eating. My name is Patrick Ten Harver, and I'm married to the lovely Kim, sitting down in the front over here. Not quite the front, because we never sit in the front. We're not allowed to sit in the front, unfortunately. My greatest desire in this church is to one day be in the front row. One day my wife will let us sit together in the front row. <laughs> no, she's shaking her head. It's never going to happen. Don't know what it is. Maybe it's a past hurt from a child that I don't know. Anyway, oh, I've lost my glasses. Hold on. Good to know that I'm a special guest. Not sure about the guest bit. I've been in this church for, I don't know, 18 years. So hopefully some of you know me. Um, it's also very nice to know that I am special, though. So thank you, Manny. I'm very appreciative. Shall we pray before we start? Come, Holy Spirit. Will you come and be with us in this place? Will you pour out your Spirit upon us today? Will you stir our hearts, open them to your word and to your prompting? Will you let your kingdom come? Will you let your will be done in this place? Amen. So, for those of you who didn't know, we're in the season of Lent. This is the second week. And last week we heard from Neil, who talked about temptation and uh, what that all means in our life. And he told the story about Jesus and about the fact that he spent the 40 days in the desert, fasting and praying and being tempted by the devil. And he talked about sometimes it feels like for us, we're living uh, in a desert and that it's tough um, and that we get tempted when it's tough. And he talked a lot about how, how we overcome that and how we get strength from Jesus and what he did to overcome it. Lent uh, and observing Lent is a reminder to us of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert. And in the run-up to Easter, it's really good for us that we focus on the cross and on what Jesus did for us on the cross, and dying for our sins. And this morning, I wanted to build up, uh, sorry, build on this a little bit. And I've got a passage from Hebrews, which should appear up there. Um, if it doesn't, it's chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. So why don't you pull out your Bible? And we'll have a read. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. A call to persevere in faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some of us are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if you've read the Bible, you'll probably know that it's full of words that encourage us to be near to God and to draw near to him, um, to be intentional and to focus on him and what he's done um, in us and through us. But why? Why do we draw near to God? What's the point? My belief, and I'm pretty sure most of you will, be, will understand this, that God's desire is to be in relationship with us. His desire is to be in an intimate relationship with us, and he's constantly pursuing us. He loves us. He wants to communicate with us, speak to us, encourage us. He wants us to be whole and not um, to, to, to suffer. Most of us know that the busyness um, and the worldliness of this world rob us of intimacy with God. We tend not to take notice of that gentle, quiet voice that whispers in our ear when we're busy. And often, the busyness makes us feel further away from God. My experience is that when this happens, the days feel tougher. The desert that Neil talked about last week feels drier. The challenges that we face every day are more difficult to overcome. And the temptations are much harder to fend off. In this chapter, Paul is reminding the Jews not to be discouraged, but to draw near to God with boldness. You see, some of them had been falling back into their old ways in the Jewish law and thinking that they had to offer sacrifices. And they'd forgotten that things were different now. Jesus had come once and for all. He reminds them that there's no longer a need to carry out their annual sacrifices through the priest to atone for their sins because Jesus, the ultimate priest, paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins by shedding his blood on the cross. In the first part of the passage, he's reminding them and now us that Jesus' death opened the way to have direct access to the most holy place. Now, the most holy place in the Old Testament was a part of the tabernacle which was only reserved for the high priest to go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. It's where God's presence dwelt, the Holy of Holies. There was a curtain that separated, or a veil that separated this part of the temple with everywhere else, shielding the likes of us from the presence of God. And now Jesus and Paul is telling the Jews that there is no longer this veil between them and that they can go into the Holy of Holies. They can, with boldness, go in and experience his presence. He goes on to say that Jesus is the ultimate priest who presides over us, and that's up to us to draw near to God, and we should do so with a sincere heart. We should come there with our sins forgiven and our consciences clean. 
let us draw near the words. Give us a clue that it's something we have to do. Something we have to initiate. We have to be intentional. Accessing Jesus and God's holy present is not a passive thing. It's something that is a two-way street. We have to bring ourselves before him. Yes, Jesus is pursuing us. Yes, we have the grace of God. But like any relationship, it takes two. Drawing near means getting close to. And I like to think that if someone is speaking very softly, you draw near into them to listen closely to what they're saying. You come closer. Um, I remember there's a word, um, uh, a Greek word called proskuneo, which um, means is worship. It's one of the words used to worship. And one of the translations is to draw near with the intention to kiss. And I love that because it gives you such a beautiful picture of when you're worshiping God, it's not just about the distance, but it's about getting close in there with the intention to kiss. And that's a very intimate thing. I only reserve my kissing for my wife and for my kids. I don't reserve kissing for anybody else. And so, um, oh, I'm glad. It's good to know. It is good to know, Mark. Thank you. (laughs) So how do we do it? How do we spend time? How do we slow down from our busyness and focus on him rather than ourselves? We listen, and we do. So lastly, he says, despite all the things going on, whether you're in the desert or not, we need to hold on to the hope because Jesus is faithful. Jesus is saying, don't give up. Keep going. And we need to encourage one another in love and good deeds. And that we shouldn't give up meeting together. We should spend time in community and do the things that he's asking us to do. The bird that stood out for me in that part of the passage is about being faithful. God is always faithful, always has been, and always will be. So, what's this got to do with Lent? What's this passage got to do with Lent? Well, um, like many other times in the church calendar, it's a great opportunity for us, or Lent is a great opportunity for us to interrupt the preoccupation with ourselves. And to focus on him as we remember what he did on the cross. Focusing on Jesus improves our ability to hear what he is saying and then to go and act on it. I'm not here to convince you that you need to observe Lent and spend 40 days giving up something that's important to you. Personally, I struggle with um, being forced into doing something that is, uh, or can be perceived as a religious obligation. Unless, of course, it's Christmas and Easter, and then I'm quite happy for, to be forced into receiving presents and eating chocolate. But what I will try to convince you of this morning is that when you do slow down, and when you do draw near to God with a sincere heart, things begin to change. What do you mean by change? you ask. Well, in my experience, a few things happen when you draw near. Your heart begins to soften, and you begin to hear his voice more clearly. You become more aware of his kindness and his blessing in your life. 
despite your hardship and where you might be in the desert. You begin to feel his love through his strength and you become stronger and more able to face your fears and to deal with your stuff. And through this relationship of listening, loving and doing, he heals you and makes you more whole. This in turn makes you less inwardly focused and gives you more space to go out and do the things that matter to Jesus. You begin to realize that Jesus is faithful, always has been. So how do I know this? Well, if you permit me, I'd like you to to tell you a bit of a story. It's a story about his never-ending kindness, his never-ending pursuit of my heart, and most of all, his unending faithfulness. It's quite a long story, so I apologize in advance. About three years ago, um, I was in a service, much like this morning, and uh, I prayed the prayer. I said, Lord, let your kingdom come. I fervently asked for his Holy Spirit to come upon me. I earnestly wanted to see his kingdom come in this place. And I said to him wholeheartedly, Lord, have your way. I give you everything. Do what you want with me. In hindsight, it's quite a dangerous prayer to pray. Having uh, never been an overtly anxious person, over a period of a few months, I noticed that I began to suffer from the effects of anxiety. I didn't know what it was at the time, and I began to feel a bit dizzy from time to time. I would frequently wake at night and couldn't concentrate for longer than 20 seconds. Used to be 40 seconds, it was then down to 20 seconds. My head was all fuzzy. And when I spent time praying, these two things would pop into my head every single time, and I couldn't shake them. They consumed me. The first was my worry that I unresolved hurt and shame from my childhood, which I'd never told a soul about, especially my wife. Not only was I ashamed of the experiences, but I was ashamed that I had held the secrets from her. The second worry was that my relationship with both my parents was broken, and I was finding it very difficult to honor them. Both of these niggles had been around for so long, I I cared not to remember, and I lacked the courage to confront them because I was afraid. So afraid that it affected who I was and often drove me to push the people that I loved the most away. And I was convinced that if they found out about me and about my things that had happened to me, that they would leave and that I would be alone. I also um, realized that despite God having told me a million times, if you tell them it'll be all right, I just couldn't. It's just something in me that I couldn't do it. I also feared my father. My father is a bitter, angry alcoholic. I convinced myself that because of my pain, honoring him and restoring the relationship would only make matters worse. So I did nothing. Time went by. I busied myself with life, important stuff. But as I said, these two things consumed me day and night. 
I tried to ignore the still small voice, which encouraged me constantly to be honest, to have a sincere heart, to make things right. But I ignored it, and slowly but surely, I noticed that I felt more and more distant from God. It didn't matter how much I prayed. I tried to reason with God and say, Surely you understand I don't need to deal with these two things. I've been through so much stuff in my life. I've been healed of so many things. Can't we just let these two little ones slide? Things got worse. I became more stressed, more anxious, and I was convinced that there was some other medical condition causing my symptoms. Google told me that I had a brain tumor and a heart defect and that very soon I was going to die. It's a dangerous place, the internet, when you're trying to self-diagnose. I don't recommend it. This just played more and more into the hands of my anxiety. Paralyzed with fear, I realized that I needed help. And so, through some professional counseling, doctors, an amazing wife, and a Sosa team, I was able to confront the challenges of my childhood. There was, there was hope. I remember fondly back to my Sozo session. I have never felt such a strong presence of the Holy Spirit. Nor have I ever heard his voice so clearly that night at the yard. It was one of the most freeing and hardest experiences of my life. It was very messy. And I mean very messy, but in a good way. And throughout the process, God put godly men and women around me. People who loved me and sought after me to find out who and how I was doing. It was emotional and scary. Um, through these people, I experienced the love of God and his kindness. Through his Holy Spirit, I experienced his peace for the first time and the healing from his presence. And because of this, I am a changed man. One down, one to go. The next challenge was to deal with my relationships, particularly my father. So now, I need to give you a bit of context. Growing up when one of your parents is an alcoholic is difficult. As a sober man, uh, he was pretty fantastic, actually. He was generous, funny, hard-working chap. And I knew that he loved his family. The trouble was, he never told us. When he drank, he was a different man. He was hard, abusive, bitter, and very angry to everyone. And because of this, I developed a fear, not because I was scared he would hurt me, but because I was desperate for his love and for his approval. Angry people don't generally dish out love. My dad was no different. As a boy and a young man, my deepest desire was to hear my father tell me that he loved me and that he was proud of me. It took many a year with many a tear and God restored my broken heart, much of which was done in this place by many people who are here today.
He mended my many hurts and disappointments that I had with my relationship with my father. And he put others in place to fill the gaps, including himself. God was kind. Now back to the story. So despite all this healing, I couldn't bring myself to honor my father. Even though at one level I still loved, still loved him, despite all that happened, this was something I didn't want to do. Twenty months ago, uh, I got a call from my father's second wife. She was diagnosed with long-term illness and she was about to die. And she told me that when she dies, that my father will be destitute. That he would no longer be her responsibility, that he would now be our responsibility. My immediate reaction was, you know, not my problem. You're on your own. You're a grown man. Sort yourself out. God had other ideas. As every time I sought his help on how to resolve my relationship and sort out my anxiety, he replied, I want you to honor him. Just honor him. I said to God, what does that mean? What does it mean to honor your parents? I mean, consider all the things he's done, all the things he's done to me. How can I honor a man that's behaved in that way? A week after the phone call, my father had a heart attack. And two weeks after that, his wife died. I do not have the capacity to deal with his situation at the time. And the expectation that he was now my responsibility was overwhelming. I couldn't cope with the thought of him being inserted into my family and have them grow up with the same pain and experiences that I'd endured as a young person. There had to be another way. Besides, I was still angry at God for my life and the predicament that he had now put me in. How could this happen to me? So, I did my best to draw near to God, even with my hard heart. And it was at this point where God said to me, if you want to honor him, just call him. I said, you mean like call him on the telephone? He said, yes, just call him on the telephone. Just talk to him and I'll do the rest. So after much disobedience and procrastination, I called him. And a few days went by. And God said, call him again. And this went on for a few weeks. And each time, I tried to encourage him. And slowly but surely, things began to change. My heart softened towards him. Instead of anger, I felt pity. And then compassion. And because of his circumstances, he was depressed. He had just lost his wife. He was destitute. He had nowhere to go. And so I did my best to remain positive and speak life at every opportunity I could. I prayed for God to change his circumstances. And he did. Over a period of a few months, he went from being destitute to being cared for. He had a place to live and an income. And because of his own health issues, he stopped drinking. We spoke more. He laughed. I felt for the first time in my life that I was honoring my father. And I was being true to the man God was asking me to be. Over the weeks, I'd become accustomed to hearing that still small voice say, call him, call him. 
Usually it would take me a few hours or maybe even a few days, but eventually I would do it. One morning, I heard the voice saying, call him, but it was more urgent. It's like, you need to do it now. So I did, and there was no answer. Called again, and eventually he answered. But he was delirious, and I could tell that he wasn't well. He said, oh, I'm just tired. I'm going back to bed. So I let him, and I phoned him a few hours later. No answer, no answer. And my father lives in Holland, so it's really tricky. You can't just run up the road and knock on the door and check on him. So I managed to find someone to go to his house and to, to see. Um, this, the short story is they found him. Um, he had an infection, and he was about to die. Um, they rushed him off to the hospital and um, brought him under control. But the, the point is, had I not listened the voice, had I not been obedient, he would have died. So he recovered from the infection and he had a heart operation which gave him a new lease on life. Over the last year or so, I've continued to call him and share in his life. I'm no longer afraid of him, no longer angry, just grateful that God has restored our relationship. God was kind, God is faithful. A few weeks ago, my father died. It's never a good time to hear the news that one of your parents or loved one has died. However, as it happened, I was on holiday. I was in the mountains. And for those of you who know me, the mountains are my happy place. And this made a big difference to me. He put people around me who were there at the time um, when I got the news, godly people who had walked this road before, who were able to speak into my life and pray for me there and then. I'm not a big believer in coincidences. And so for me, this was God being kind again. So, when I look back over the years, it's easy to see how, despite my reluctance, God's plan was always to reconcile me to my dad. But only if I would let him. And only if I trusted him. I stand before you as a very, very grateful man. Grateful that I've been healed of my brokenness. Grateful that he has restored me and the relationship to my father. So much so that when he died, I felt no regret, but only a peace. A peace knowing that I'd done all that God had asked me to do, And that I had drawn near when I was in the desert. And I opened my heart to him. I like the, uh, the message version of the passage that we read. It says this. Don't throw it all away. So friends, we can now without hesitation walk right up to God into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's do it, full of belief, confident that we are presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love 
and helping out. Not avoiding worshipping together, as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. So, to come into land, whether you're in the desert or not, whether things are going really well or not, can I encourage you at this time, as we approach Easter, to draw near to God in whichever way you feel appropriate. Enter into his presence with boldness. Be intentional. Allow him to change you. Allow him to heal you. Trust him with your most treasured secrets and desires because he is faithful. Why don't you stand? And can we have the band back, please?